Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Jesus and Paula Show. Glad that you guys have decided to tune in and join us this Thursday before Christmas. It's hard to believe we're already at the end of 2021, but we are. And we're getting ready to close out and celebrate a wonderful year that God has brought us through. And truly brought us through is probably the opportune word for us when we describe it. Well, we want you guys to take this moment as we're getting ready to light up some things for you here. We've got a great show for you today. So we want you to take the opportunity to share, 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 and then share. Make sure you let some of your friends, your family, you know, your enemies, all of them know that the Jesus and Paula show is live. Because I can guarantee you that there's going to be something on the show for all of them. Okay? So make sure you take the time to share, share, share. Let you guys come on in with us today. We're here, we're live, and we're ready to bring you what thus saith the Lord in this. So Today, I want to just give us a few announcements as we get ready to do this. Uh, Dr. Paula Price will be here. She'll be ready to unfold some things that God has laid on her heart tremendously about 2022. If you have not had an opportunity to catch her Sunday service, then I'm saying right now, pause, put a, put a note in your phone, set an alarm, set a date to go back and visit that show or visit that service rather it was amazing uh she talked about some very important and heavy things for us as we go into the year 2022 she did an amazing treatment of the concept of time that i think every person needs to know every person needs to understand about time because it certainly will make you look at yours and what you have remaining very very differently So I encourage you to go back and look at that. I'm not even going to do a spoiler, right? Don't you think, Rachel, we can't spoil that one. I'm not even going to give you a spoiler on that one because you need to feel the same impact we did. It was very thought-provoking, very provocative, rather, which is what, you know, Dr. Price is known to be. And it sent you away contemplating a lot of things. It was, you know, one of those sermons that just kind of make you very introspective about your life, about the fruit of your life, and what you've done with your time. So I highly recommend that was this past Sunday. What was the date for that? So I could give them the exact date they can look up. 19th? Okay, so it was December 19th. It was the message from Dr. Paula Price Sunday service. You can find it on her page, Apostle Paula Price, and you can click like on your way, right, to that sermon. And go ahead and check that out. It's about time and what God's purpose for time was. And a version of Ecclesiastes 3 that I'm sure, okay, your grandmama's, you know, doctrine didn't teach you. So you might want to go back and look at that and and find yourself really empowered by the wisdom and the knowledge that she imparts there. And along with that, because Dr. Price has a a wonderful way of bringing you through various segments of things in her messages, right? 
So, oh my goodness, we started off dealing with something going on in the world, and then we, we went right through time, and then we ended on some powerful, powerful things to contemplate about 2022, which I believe she's going to continue today, so you don't want to go anywhere. You want to make sure you stay with us the full two hours. Share, 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 and then share. Stay with us this full two hours because I'm telling you, God laid some heavy things and insights on her heart about the year 2022, which will hopefully get a chance to go into today because sometimes with Dr. Price, you don't know what's going to come out of that laptop, okay? But I know that he's laid some things on her. She talked about this also in that December 19th message about the year 2022 and how we want to engage God in the next year, right? She talked about us, you know, developing pretty much a lifestyle of insensitivity where we no longer can really hear, discern, or sensitive to God's voice or even his presence in our lives. She asked us an amazing question. She said, do you or, or do you recognize where God's presence, it, presence is really in your life? Do you recognize that? And she said there's a lot of people right now who don't even realize that God is missing from their life missing from their, their equation, missing from the intimate involvement with who they are. And you know that it, it's a reality because a lot of us can say our prayer lives have changed. Bible reading may have changed. Church attendance has changed. And so the degree and level of the God's voice and involvement in your life has greatly diminished. And God, she says in the sermon that God did it on purpose because he wanted to see who would miss him. And that's the question to a lot of you watching out there today. Do you miss him? And will you miss him in 2022? An amazing question that only you can answer. So we want you to stay with us live today. We're going to step into those kind of waters. Speaking of 2022, if you don't have uh, any plans, okay, for your New Year's Eve, we want you to spend it right here with us at the Mighty. If you live right here in T.O., Tulsa, Oklahoma, okay, and you're looking for something to do on New Year's Eve, we're going to be going into a, a service and time of prayer, worship, and prophecy, getting ourselves set and ready for what God wants to do that next year. My goodness, because it's going to be a heavy year, y'all. I wish we could tell you we're going to be bringing you some amazing news, but you can just see the way this one is ending and the way God has been really speaking to his prophets and apostles and even through so, to some of you through dreams and visions that it's going to be a heavy year that we have to get ready for. And this is the best year to end in prayer. Okay, prayer, consecration, getting with God, getting on that throne, doing some carpet ministry, we used to call it back in the day. We might need to do some carpet ministry, closet ministry, bed ministry, whatever it is. You need to be able to, you know, spend this time, close out this year with your God. Family and friends are nice, but we're admonishing you to close out your year with your God. So we're having our New Year's Eve service December uh, 31st right here at the embassy, uh, 7100 East 31st Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For those of you guys who don't live here with us, you can catch us online. We'll be live streaming that night as well. Dr. Price will be bringing the word of the Lord for the year, and she'll be sharing uh, parts of it today, and then she'll have it all comprehensively tied up by the time we get to the 31st. And really, it's to equip you, prepare you, and instruct you for what's coming down the pike. God has been trying to equip, prepare, 
and instruct his people really for the last five years about this particular change in times and seasons for us. So you don't want to miss that. That's going to kick off at 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. Okay, so if you're joining us here in Oklahoma, you want to be here at 9 p.m. If you're online, you want to make sure you set your watch, your clock, and your calendar to 9 p.m. Central Standard because you're not going to want to miss this word of the Lord. Amen? And for those of you guys who might be looking for something to do on Christmas, post-Christmas Sunday service, we will be having one here at the embassy as well. I know that some people have asked us, we have local uh, connections and friends and supporters who wanted to know, are we going to be open? Yes, we are. Okay? We do not close down the temple of the Lord. All right? It's an essential service. It's like not having lights for Christmas. So we're not going to close down the temple of the Lord. So if you're looking for a place to go Sunday morning, we kick off right here at the embassy, 10 a.m., and we'll be right there sharp with you guys. For those of you guys who, whose uh, uh, churches may not be having online services for various reasons, we want you to go ahead and tune in, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. We'll be right here. We'll be kicking off with praise and worship and doing all of the things that we do to make sure we honor the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's this man's year and time of the year, rather, of celebration. The last thing we want to do is, is close our doors to him and open our homes to just family and friends. I mean, what kind of message does that send, even incidentally? Okay, yes, happy birthday, Jesus, going over here with the friends at the crib, you know, not celebrating the real reason why we do this. And it's so easy to get caught up in the hustle and the bustle. But this time of year, more than any, we need to be with our God. We need to be celebrating our God. We need to be dignifying and regarding our God. That is part of how we got here was our, you know, incremental, okay, diminishment of our sensitivity to him and his spirit. You know, we don't recognize, I didn't recognize until God started really lighting me up about 2022. And, you know, you go to seek him, hey, God, what's for the year? You know, I'm a prophet, so you want to know. And when he comes back and says, well, uh, let me tell you what's going to be about this year. Um, it's going to be about me for a change. I'm going to be the center. We're not going to sing about Jesus being the center. He's actually just going to be the center. And he's going to take over a lot of things. And so when he began to unveil how he felt about the dismissive nature of his church and how people are not only dismissive and devaluing of him, but we've also become very crude and insensitive and some of us downright blasphemous. I know we don't use that word anymore because it's too much of a religious term, but we've gotten to the place where it's like even the things that God enjoys, we mock and make fun of and we scorn um, the things that he likes. Imagine somebody coming to your house for Christmas and you set this wonderful spread for them and to have this good experience. And then all of a sudden, they come and mock and scorn everything that you like and everything that you did in your home. Yeah, you would feel some kind of way about that. But we incidentally have done that in the houses of God to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This man has given up a lot for us. He's done a lot for us, and he continues to be there for us. But we keep thinking that this relationship is a one-way street, right? That it's his job. It's, it's gotten inverted because we think that it's, our, it's God's job to please us. And we've gotten out of the mindset of us actually pleasing God. And it can happen so subtly. I don't know too many believers that wake up and say, yeah, right, I'm going to diss Christ today and uh, not please him and uh, have him hate me or something. Nobody wakes up and does that. You don't wake up and just have a blow off God, okay, unless you hit a trauma in your life where you feel like he wasn't there for you the way you needed him to be. Then it could be a deliberate act. But for the most part, we wake up and, 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 and try to continue our relationship with this man and not pay attention to the subtle ways. It's like a marriage. 
the subtle ways in which you and your spouse just grow apart. You don't know the exact date. Most, I'm a life coach and, and 3D soul restoration coach here with Prophetic Ed Institute Agency with Dr. Price. And so I love being a 3D soul restoration coach because it gives me an opportunity to allow people to heal through a lot of things. But one of the things that's so interesting about the marriage situation is that no couple can really tell you the exact day, time, season, or reason they grew apart. They just knew incrementally things just began to do this. And then they woke up one day and realized that they no longer have the same interests. They no longer can communicate to each other. They no longer even have a care and concern about what the other's needs are, okay? And now their relation, their marriage has literally flown because people separate in their hearts before they physically separate, and we know that, right? And so it happens with Jesus Christ as well. You don't know the day. You can't go back to a, a season or a reason why all of a sudden your relationship with Christ has become so distant. Well, he's not number one anymore. I had to go back and evaluate that when he was talking about I'm not first. My issue in this season is that I'm not first in people's lives, and they won't choose me. When I'm paired up against anything else, doesn't matter what it is, family, friends, job, money, COVID, it doesn't matter. He knows he will lose. He will always come up the loser. Anytime we compare him with anything else in our life. Now, we'll sing that he's all in all, but when it comes down to the tangibilities of us walking out what we just say, he loses the battle. He's going to lose to whatever is happening in your life. He's going to lose you at church. He's going to lose you in prayer. He's going to lose you in worship. worship. He's going to lose. And so when I woke up and realized that, wow, God, that's true. I remembered when I was going through my prophetic awakening experience in college, how putting God first was like all I wanted to do. Like, do you remember that, Rachel, where you would wake up first thing in the morning and God's will was on your mind? I asked God what kind of outfit I should wear, (laughs) okay? I asked him about my clothes. I asked God about everything, okay, because he was first. His thoughts about me mattered. What he wanted from me was so important and significant. And when I began to look back over the years at, okay, yes, I'm still, I still put my service to the Lord first, you know, and what I do for him first. But I realized that those intimate things that make the two one had begun to separate, right? There began to be this gulf. And so I'm like, okay, <laughs> when did that happen that I stopped caring about even the small things that please the Lord, the small things he wanted? his preferences, what he liked and what he didn't like. And so you don't remember the day like you wouldn't in a natural marriage where you wake up and you and God are just, okay, one step further apart. And he's one step distance in your heart. Disappointments can do it. Him not meeting your expectations can do it. Unanswered prayers can do it. Frustrations about prophetic words that did or did not play out the way you thought. And then you look over time, and all of a sudden, you and there is a grand canyon between you and the Lord. It happens just that quick. And so those are the things that we need to consider when we're talking about where God is in 2022. You know, he said something so powerful when I was trying to pull together some things prophetically. He said, I'm not going to talk to you about a prophecy. He said, I'm going to talk to you about the God of 2022. Not just the prophetic word, but the God of 2022. And I think that that's who we need to be ready to meet. We need to be ready to meet our God. We need to be ready to meet the person, the being, with a heart, a mind, will, emotions, a soul that we've become a little bit distanced from. 
for a lot of reasons. And so God's going to make us really do some deep introspective examination of our relationships with him and where we are with him in this process. Is he first or is that a song? It makes a good lyric, but does it make a good lifestyle? So we want to ask that question as we walk into 2022 because it's going to be so, so heavy. Are you guys ready for this? Because, my goodness, I want you to hit that share button right now because I told you we have a great lineup for this show. I want you to share, 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 share. Remember, you can join us at New Year's Eve. Join us on Christmas Day. I kind of gave you just a little bit of a peek into some of the things that God's going to be wanting to talk about in 22 as he takes sovereign control over our lives. Okay, I call it imminent domain, and then Dr. Price came up with the most uh, awesome phrase, moving from domestic to dominion, okay, where it's not going to be just about us, but going back to genuinely making him first as the king of the kingdom. Isn't that real? Because sometimes we serve the kingdom and ignore the king, and you don't realize it until you go and examine your relationship and you see that distance and you see that gulf and that space between. Oh, my goodness. So those are the things that we're wanting to get into today on this show, along with whatever Jesus wants to say. We call it the Jesus and Paula show for that reason, because he gets top billing, okay? And so we want him to have the right to share and to speak with you from his heart, because that's one thing we've been worried about, our hearts. But one thing we've not really wanted to do is hear what God's heart is on his, on his world, on his nation, on his planet, on his church, and on his people. And not from the standpoint of what he's going to do for us, but the standpoint of what he wants and needs from us. How about that? Isn't it true? Well, I have somebody in the house that you guys are ready to hear from today. I think her name is Dr. Paula A. Bright. Uh, isn't it wonderful? That, you know, I just love when my fruit speaks, you know. And, and so, you know, she's the twofold fruit. And then I still am convinced that Ashley's the twofold fruit. We just will not tell her mother. Okay. We're just going to hide it from her mother. Okay. <laughs> That's it. We're, gonna, we're not going to let our mother know because we don't want her to think wrongly. But when you get somebody, which is why you're going to love today, when you get somebody who is, who is that, you know, of that fruit. I always say to the Lord and I say to others that um, obviously Tyler is my first organic prophet in two ways. Okay? You know, she, she kind of knows me from the inside out. And then I have uh, Ashley as my first and really genuine organic prophet. She came from Assemblies of God to me, bless her heart, and she survived. (laughs) And she is my first organic prophet. So what do I mean by organic? I mean coming coming into existence as that, okay, from the nativity that God has from me, from the you know, all of the things that make one organic. And so I say that because she did not have to deal with anybody else's doctrine. She didn't have to deal with anybody else's ministry, mantleship. She didn't have to migrate over to what I teach. She actually came into existence, you know, as from an intern to an apostle. Yes. And I thank God for that. Now, my daughter whom I just get a kick out of, you know, I just love it. I got so many daughters. I'm so happy. I realize that this is one day I'm going to have a daughter hangout. I'm going to take them all on a retreat, and we're going to hang out, all my daughters. (laughs) We are going to hang out for three full days, 
me being the mother, them being the daughters, and we're going to do mother-daughter things that's fun. Many people have it in their mind that if you do God, you don't do fun. Right. So that is why we have the bells, the whistles, the horn, just to break up the weightiness of what we are dealing with and, and what we're saying, and letting you know God says he's full of joy. That means God's joy does not leave him uh, in depressed circumstances. He can't be depressed. So God's joy just continues to flow while he's doing weighty things and heavy things. So what am I going to talk about today? Well, this week um, I was asked to write an article uh, for, for Christmas. Now, the reason that I want to talk about this article is because we – the church does not know how to celebrate Christmas, let alone why. You don't. You think it's about your boyfriend, your girlfriend. You think it's about your little white snow. I don't know what they do in Florida and, and, and L.A. And us today in Oklahoma, you think it's about the frosty, the snowman. You think it's about stuff, the same icons that make up religion. You understand that Christianity is full of icons. And it has been made an iconic religion. So what does that mean? We kind of know what icons are today on computers, but let me not assume. Icon is an image that is designed for veneration, for worship, to symbolize your worship because worship uh, deities are invisible. So to make your deity visible, the church gives you a bunch of icons. You get Mary, Jesus on her hip. You know, you get the wise men. You get all of these statues, and statuary is it, okay? And you, so you don't realize that God is not impressed with your icons. He doesn't care about whether or not you want a, a, a plaque on the wall, statue in your corner. That doesn't bother him at all as long as you aren't bending down on your knees, venerating it, worshiping it. Now, the one thing that prophets have done, which is why I have that, that prophets and apostles deal with all the time idolatrous icons that take Jesus' place, that are always trying to unseat him. For example, I think this is very interesting. You watch Hallmark, you think Christmas is about people getting engaged, don't you? Right. You think that. You think Christmas is about people falling in love and finding their other, significant or not. You think Christmas is about a whole imaginary Thing. I mean, they even have the film over the film to make you get caught up in dreamy land. Okay, you, yeah, that's what you call. It. See, these are my, they, they, these are my drama, film, and television graduates. So they put a nice dreamy film over it so that you are 100%, literally 100% caught up in the fantasy of romance. Now I've told you before, romance. The end of romance is mance comes from the root word mancy. M-A-N-C-Y, and it actually means divination. Prophets, true prophets, have, I mean, they're hot on divination. They are going to root out divination if they have to go to the ends of the earth to find it. They're going to hurt your feelings about it. True prophets, like Bible prophets, were not romantic. No. They did not produce or promote romance. What do you think? No. Not at all. Not one bit. So Bible prophets will never support your romance. She got her own. She got her own. But okay. did you? We're gonna we're gonna give you. We're gonna, we're gonna put a bell right here for you. You gonna behave? Oh, I can behave. I put it until she can 
Okay. Now I want you to <laughs> I want you to hear me. Bible prophets do not ever support, promote, or endorse romance because they know that it is divinatory. And they don't care that you put hugs and kisses around it. They don't care that you put glittery rings and, and candlelit supples around it. They don't care about that. What they care about is that divination is, a, is an antagonist of their God. So, you know, every year we, we go through the Christmas thing, and from Christmas all the way up to Valentine's Day, you all are caught up in the grip of Nancy. Now, look it up. Don't take my word for it. I don't, I'm not going to tell you what I haven't searched out, and I have not just searched this out this year. I didn't just search this out for this broadcast. If you look in my dictionary, we talk about it. So the fact is, if you're celebrating Christmas, I don't care about, I mean, you know, you want to have a bell, you want to have a bow, that's fine. But let us, let us be clear that God is not an icon. So but you have been trained and groomed on iconic Christmas. That's why some of you all got Santa Claus up in your house, Santa Claus sitting on your, on your okay, sitting on your, your front lawn. You got this, this old, fat, cherry-faced man acting like he invented Christmas, and you support it. You give him money for it. Now, if you put Santa on your front lawn, nobody yells. But you put your nativity on your front lawn. All of a sudden, the neighborhood association got problems with having to see that they need a thing. See, that's what apostles and prophets do. Our job, if you said, well, what do you all do that is that can be summed up in a single statement? Our job is to expose God's adversaries and then counteract them and then counter manned their authority in his body. God's number one issue is idolatry. I know you think it's something else, but his number one issue is idolatry. Idolatry is invisible. So you have icons to express or visualize your idolatry. Does Does that speak to you? So, so when you wonder what does an apostle do, because you always want to know, well, why are they always talking about this sin and devils and what? Because that's God's issue. Nobody ever asks Americans why we're always always talking about country. Every time we turn around, I mean, you'd say American, really, we go to country. You know, I mean, nobody ever does that. Now, if you're a prophet, if you are an apostle, which both of which were not in the church, say not in the church. It's important for you to get that. And I, I thank God for my, my audience today. I just love y'all. I'm going to give y'all a blessing. Y'all going to be all blessed up. Yes, sugar blessed. Sugar blessed. But I want you to hear me. You, got, you cannot be a prophet and not have a problem with how we have made Christmas an, an iconic Ritual, the ritual being dating and mating, getting married, finding a sled, making up some snow. What's the truth? And the prophets of God sat back and let them do this to their, quote, unquote, their sovereign. This generation only, going all the way back. 
there was a time you could get good Christmas broadcasting and uh, on television, and Hallmark used to give it to you. But if they're going to be bold enough to redefine Christmas according to their pagan rituals, then I'm going to be bold enough to say that Christmas is not pagan. It, 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 and I don't care. Don't tell anybody it's a pagan holiday because I'm going to tell you something. Before Jesus rose from the dead, the world was pagan. The whole world was pagan. That's the whole power of the cross. The power of the cross is that God brought his world, he brought the world back to what Abel founded. He brought the whole world back. He bought the planet from paganism with the blood of the Lamb. Now, that's good prophetic chatter if ever I thought it. See, because we act as if paganism was first. It was not. Paganism was, the world was not founded on paganism. It was not founded on witchcraft. It was not founded on pagan rituals, New Ageism. That is not the planet. The beginning before Adam fell. The planet was neither pagan or non-pagan. It was neither pagan nor Christian. How about that? Can we go into this? Hallelujah. If the world was not pagan, it was not Christian. That's why we're the heirs. Because if you're, if you're born again, you're not pagan and you're not Christian. Anybody hearing me? See, if you're born again, you can't be pagan if you're really born again. Now, if you ran down there and asked Jesus to come into your heart, well, all bits are off. But the world was never founded on paganism, archetypically, prototypically, originically. It was never pagan. Now, paganism entered the picture when we got to a point where Cain left the family and went out by himself to start the world. Cain founded paganism. He founded New Age religion. He founded Nature Path religion. He did. Up until that, it was not that. See, if you don't know your history, you can't ever protect or defend your destiny. Because if you don't know your history, every moment can be assumed your destiny. Historically, there was no paganism at all. As a matter of fact, before the, before the garden ordeal, there was no Christmas. There was no need for Christmas because Christ was in Adam. And Adam wasn't made a pagan because in order to be a pagan, there has to be many gods. You cannot be a pagan with a, with a, a, a what do you call it, a single god. Now, you can be idolatrous, idolatrous any kind of way, but not that. So you have to recognize that all of this drawing and all of this artwork and all of this here stuff that we're living, that is, you're calling it pagan because pagans have perverted it. You're calling it pagan because you've been trained to think Christmas is about icons and romance and divination. So you're calling it pagan because you have a pagan mindset concerning it because you don't know the foundation. And even though you think you know the foundation, you don't really understand it. So I wrote this article, and I'm going to bounce back and forth 
um, with this article, but I want to read it and, and because we're going to discuss this. Um, the, I entitled the article, A Dose of Christmas Hope. We can all agree right now we could, need, we could use a little dose, a major dose of Christmas hope. Because this whole campaign against the planet is to destroy your hope. Why? Because if you destroy your hope, then you put your faith on hopelessness. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So if I kill your hope and I give you something else in place of your hope, which means if I get you to start expecting evil every day, expecting hardship and difficulty every day, single day, if that is what I do, then I have transferred your faith from hope to hopelessness, which means it guarantees that I can enslave you until I destroy you. Wow. So we need hope today. Now, reading the article, 21st century populations find themselves gripped in a global fight for life. Throughout and before these days, the Lord ceaselessly spoke one word to me concerning it. The word was hope. Little did I know at the time the battleground descending on earth would make people struggle for hope. More than 125 times in scripture, excuse me, scripture mentions hope, not only as a remedy for hard times, but more so as the way to overcome them. World powers of today work relentlessly to stamp out our hope and thereby return humanity to the world that moved Jesus Christ, eternity's sovereign, come to redeem it. Before then, the earth was engulfed with unconstrained darkness. Humans were ravaged with wickedness that had no counterbalance or counteraction. Humans lived debased, unbridled lives. Anything one person or power wanted to do to another was done often without repercussions. The great was exempt, the weak despised. Callousness and brutality reigned unchecked during those times. Because there were no Christians back then to show or offer another kind of life, people knew and hoped for nothing better. Hope and hopelessness were wishful thinking with biased realities. In good times, hope was swapped for happiness. In trying times, helplessness draws on it. Thankfully, that is not so much today because of Jesus Christ. Unending human atrocities moved God Almighty to intervene, and he did so by sending his only begotten son into the world to foreshadow what Christmas would commemorate. There's a lot. I read it aloud because you, as you do your holiday celebrations, you might want to revisit this and share it with your family. So I'm going to read the second paragraph, and then I'm going to talk, turn it over to the prophecies concerning Christmas. See, because Christmas is prophetic. Come on. It's apostolic. It's ecclesial. It is not pagan. Our courageous supreme being left his glorious abode to make himself into a vulnerable infant. He took the chance above chances that those his father entrusted his infancy and childhood to would be faithful in their charge. The mission was an all-or-nothing one. 
Either Jesus would be found a faithful, triumphant Savior of the world, or this creation would be lost forever. All of creation, not just earth and humans, depended on those God brought into Emmanuel's secret mission. Keeping his confidences and submitting to his training would finish what he incarnated to do. Should his confidants betray him, humankind was doomed to die out. Everything the creator ever did hang in the balance, resting on fragile, hope-rich body of a tiny baby boy. It is no wonder people have such a difficult time with Christmas. Its backstory is so incredible that it motivated dark powers stalking the little child's life to create a counterfeit, counterfeit version. They overcame, let me back up, they overwrote the sting of the creation-wide loss they were about to and eventually did suffer. Aiming to confuse the countless souls God planned to reclaim from them, the false account would cause them to reject Jesus Christ instead of being saved by him. Over the centuries, Jesus' incarnation is told from various angles, emphasizing different parts of it. But the basics of Christ's embodiment are these. Humanity was abducted and lost to its creator. The abduction did not happen to tangible bodies, but the human seed stored in Adam and Eve's physical bodies. Jesus' redemption sacrifice was his duty because his breath blew the breath of life into Adam's formed corpse. With that breath came Adam's soul and his life's blood. With both, the man would reproduce endless variations of himself in this world. Also with that breath came innumerable human seeds that would pass on the Almighty's deathless life um, to everything Adam and his wife procreated. History shows God's vision did not seem to fail. It did not. Adam, unaware of the immense trust placed in him, did not know his body carried the life of all humanity, including the reproductive substance of Christ's physical body. He dismissed Christ's seed in him, disregarding the Almighty's vision of a brand new world, its species and era. Adam was to impregnate his wife with godly descendants to populate the earth, people God ordained to administrate. All right. To administrate creation for him. Eve was to birth the creator's family, those to re- replicate his son Jesus Christ in flesh. Instead, Adam's naivete passed on the doomed life of creation's first and most powerful death agent. The hopelessness of the situation seemed irrever- irreversible, but thanks be to God it turned out not to be. The way Sin entered the human race is exactly the way salvation would redeem it, through the womb of a woman. Eve conceived and brought forth doom and despair. Mary, Jesus' mother, brought forth the Savior of the world that would reverse it. Jesus' nativity was not for the material world, but the Almighty's human race. This, you tell me it's on my site. The whole thing is on my website, drpaulaprice.com. So as you're teaching your children about Christmas and you're reading the Bible's snippets of accounts of how it got, you can fill in the blanks with this because that's what this does. It fills in the blanks. Christmas is about a woman's womb producing the God of creation. 
a mortal woman's womb producing the God of creation. Christmas is not about your romance. Adam and Eve did not need to be romantic. There was nobody else for them to have to buy for. So that was them. It was automatically that they would be husband and wife so that God can establish that, that physical love would be honored by him with godly seed, as he says in Matthew, but also with holiness. And that marriage would be the only thing he would accept as godly physical love. Pagan, pagans, on the other hand, want you to sex everything, yes. everything about them, because they are still working with those fallen fertility deities. So they want you to sex everything, anything, animals, trees, bushes. They don't care. I mean, we get to the point where we're talking about everything is sexy. We got this new move. Something is not sexy. It, it, my business isn't sexy. Well, are you a brothel? <laughs> a brothel needs to be sexy. Isn't that right? Whore house. A brothel needs to be sensuous. So you need sexuality. You need sensuality. You need sacrifices. See, all of that, that's the devil's Christmas. So you need that to celebrate Christmas. Hallmark is trying to tell you that Jesus Christ didn't come to the planet. Hallmark is trying to tell you that the Son of God did not die and did not take on flesh as an infant and brought the fullness of creation, the fullness of the Almighty's world to this world to save it. Hallmark is trying to tell you that a Christmas tree is going to get you to heaven, that a bell is going to get you to heaven, that mistletoe where you get folks you don't even know is going to get you to heaven, that romance, divinatory lies, the lies you tell to someone that you want to pretend to love until Christmas is over. That's their story. They can't argue with the story they tell. And they can't argue with the fact that their story has come way down the line. Go back to their early stuff before pagans bought them out, before New Ageism bought them out. Go back to that, and you're going to find out. There was a time we told the Christmas story, and we talked about the sin of the world. But see, pagans want you to celebrate sin because they cannot obliterate it. So they have to make it marketable. Everything that, that they do, all of this merchandising of Christmas, this is about ignoring the fact that every man, every woman must be saved. There is no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. Christmas is about the incarnation of the Son of God, the only being born in the planet with no sin in him, on him, around him. In order for him to become your Savior, he had to, God had to put sin on him because he didn't breed it. If we're going to do it, let's do it right. And apostles and prophets' job is to do that. And had we held the fort, had we maintained our message instead of letting somebody talk, well, that's just boring. I don't know what's more boring than watching ten television shows in a day and everybody is having sex. How boring is that? That's not creative. It's not creative to watch people licking and lapping on each other. There's no creativity in that. That may be your nativity, but that's not creativity. It's not creative to sit there and think about all of the, the everything wrapped around sex, toothpaste, sex, rice, sex. How, that's not original. Remember, shampoo is sex. I don't even know how a toothpaste could be sex. Well, see, what you found is like the, the, start of it, the start of all that. <laughs> see, beaver, there we go. 
So then we put sex in every product so every Mansi, because see, those, com- those commercial words are Mansi. They're romancing. They're letting you, they're romancing your soul so you can buy into the divination and thus buy into its judgment. Satan knows what will make God judge humans. He's very clear on it because God judged him. He's very clear on what will cause God to reject you. He's very clear on what will cause God to judge you. Well, he's very clear what will cause God to sentence you, to condemn you. He's very, very, very clear on that. And, hey, he's like, hey, I can't get out of it. I might as well bring a bunch in with me. And up until this baby's incarnation, up to this man being born in a manger, there was no hope. Everything was pagan. The world was pagan. All humans went to hell except the three that the Bible talks about. All humans went to hell. Elijah did not go. Enoch did not go. Moses did not go. Three lives escaped hell. No other lives escaped it. Even the Son of God himself had to go to hell. The Son of God. And what we think kept Elijah out of hell, what we think Elijah and Enoch never even saw death. Moses saw death. What we think kept Elijah and Enoch out of hell, Moses out of hell, is not what kept them out. You can't say that, well, you know, they were loving because they got mad with folks. You can't say that they were, they were um, meek and, uh, or easygoing. Moses was meek, and he still wiped out people. You all who are walking around here saying war is not of God, you can tell you've not been in your Bible. That's a pagan idea. That's paganism. See, you're walking around with, there's no reason that for any human being to kill another. No, no, there's no reason for any human being to murder another. And you need to know the difference between murder and killing. So you have a, they're preaching another gospel, but you think it's another gospel is, is the one you're not hearing. See, you are not hearing what they're saying that is contrary. They came to arrest Elijah, and three times, well, at least two times, he burnt up the entire force. They came to get him, fire, come down from heaven. Yet he still, he still escapes death and hell. Okay? And, and not only that, he didn't even have to worry about it. You know, uh, Enoch just stepped over. Elijah, he got some transportation. So the chariots of fire didn't even say a chariot of fire, which means they were used to seeing it. That, and so when you, when you are moving in God, you got to know God has got to defend his stronghold. He's got to defend his planet. He's got to rescue and defend his humanity. You have to understand that. And we're going to keep saying it because eventually the true will step up. The true will understand that God is not the chump that Satan makes him out to be. See, you all buy the lie. Meanwhile, it's not working. People dying all over the place, accidents still happening, crime is still going on and whatnot. And you're, and you're saying that, that it's the Almighty who's doing it. Meanwhile, pagans promote it. Pagans promote sacrifice. They promote bloodletting. We're not doing that. God said he died once for all. So I'm going to read the next one because I think you're going to like it. But before I do, I'm going to show you because I said to you, this is about the dose of Christmas hope, but it's also about Christmas being apostolic and prophetic. 
That's, it's our job to defend Christmas. It's our job to guard it, to guard the story that's been given to us. It is our job to push back on paganism. They're pushing on us. They're pushing on us, and we're walking around saying, yeah, well, I mean, they must be the right way because they're big. Are, are you kidding? Tsunamis are big. We don't celebrate them. Nobody's saying, Lord, can't wait for that next tsunami, can't wait for that next tornado, cannot wait for that next media to fall out. We don't say that. But, we're, but you're divining their words. Divination. You're divining their words. So we already talked about this, the, first, uh, uh, the first 21st century, what we're living with right now, that God is the God of hope. My Bible says God is the God of hope. And then how many times is in Scripture that it's not just a, a remedy for hard times? But let's look at this. Are you ready? Because after this, I'm going to wrap this up, and we are going to talk. So clarify. One of the things we have to do is clarify what it means to be and hear from a prophet as well as what to, how to receive it. So the first thing we want to do is check their character. We, we cannot have the character of, of morality of this world because God has no moral compass. Compass tells you that there's different directions and anything can pop up. God is righteous. God has, write it down, and you can put my name at it, Dr. Paula, put my name right on this side of it. God has no moral consequence. He talks to us about being godly. He talks to us about being righteous. He talks to us, he talks to us about being upright. He talks to us about being holy. He has no moral compass. Now, what is the difference? You know, Dr. Price, what is the difference? Morality is the, is the majority determination of a particular population in a region. For example, what's moral for America is not moral for Asia. Right. So morality, as humans agree upon it, cannot be what God does because God says, I am righteous, and I'm, I'm working my righteousness from heaven down. I'm working righteousness in the earth. So God is righteousness, and he's not just talking about, okay, no mistake. He's literally talking about everything that came from me had no error. It was Satan-free, it was sin-free, and it was death-free. That's what God calls righteousness. Satan-free, sin-free, death-free. So you want to check character. Like how much is that character reflective of Jesus Christ? Well, what's your model? What's your template in Scripture? Antioch. Antioch said that the disciples of Christ were so like Christ, now he hadn't even been there, that they named them after him. Derogatorily as it may be, they named them after. So that means that as a group, they reflected Jesus Christ to the point that they considered them his offspring and his namesake. Legitimacy. How legitimate is this person? The church has been told that because everybody can prophesy, everybody can execute the prophet's office. And there is a difference between gift versus office. Remember, gift belongs to the individual to use as they see fit, which makes the gift susceptible to prejudice and bias. The office belongs to institutions, and they don't freestyle and freelance. You understand that your job is not going to let you freestyle and freelance do the same thing on their dime and time and while they pay you to betray them or to conflict with them. So legitimacy, 
authenticity. Are you dealing with an authentic prophet? And do you know how to measure an authentic prophet? Can you tell a prophet this person is authentic? Other than your knowing, knowing, and your baby leaping, and your and your spirit being witness, and all of that, those are not wrong, but they're too abstract. So you need to identify criteria. What does God call criteria for executing the prophet's office? And then trend. What is their pattern? Their trend. How? What? What are their normal prophecies, and where do they fit in the trends of the world? How much? Do their prophecies line up with the trends of God rather than the trends of this world? That's important. And then lastly, what is your yardstick? Forgot my C. What is your yardstick? What is your metric? What is your measurement? How do you measure them? Because gifts do not measure up the same way as the officer, because gifts bear the weight of their own will. Officers bear the weight of the institution they represent. So I thought you'd appreciate that. Here's another one, pedigree. I've talked over and over again, and maybe Rachel can find it for me, the pedigree of the teaching I did on prophetic pedigree. I know we might have something on that. Yeah. Okay, so maybe you can make that available. I appreciate it. So when we talk about pedigree, now, this is, um, when I finish this, I'll read my next thing, but I want us to discuss this. I'm going to leave this on the screen. And I know that talking to you is juicing already. Ready? Ready. The first thing you want to do, understand about pedigree is that prophet's parentage. Who opened that prophet's spirit? How did they open that prophet's spirit? And what, with what? did they use? Did they use Bible? Did they use religion? Did they use occultism? Did they use paganism? Did they use shamanism? Did they use astrology? Did they, you see where I'm going with this? Did they use witchcraft? Did they use idolatry? Because all of that will tell you what the, the seed, the gene pool that that prophet spirit has either come from or drawn into. Next thing, I like this one. This is what you're going to discuss. Epigenetics, because, uh, see, this is our hot button. And we really could have a, a prophet Angela. She'd probably go crazy over it because what is that? And that's the mother side, the mother side, the mentor side of their prophetic makeup. So what did they pull from the church that they're connected with or the body of people that they're connected with? I like that. So we're going to do keep that. And then we have descent. What did that from this parent? Who did the parent descend from? We could teach on this for about a week, you know? And then next one, insemination. Who inseminated and what seed, what, what spiritual seed, what prophetic seed are inseminated them, caused that, that spirit to come into being? Because God writes in Scripture there are people that are, where there is something good in, he's saying they were inseminated with something good. All right? Genealogy. I think genealogy is important because that speaks to the entire ancestry, the entire family tree from all the way back. For example, if you read scripture, especially with, um, I want to say Second Camp uh, Chronicles, but I want to talk about not just Second Chronicles. I want to talk about the other ones as well. 
Luke, running down the genealogy. Matthew, running down the genealogy. Often scripture said the son of, from the family of, the son of. So the family root of this prophet is important. It speaks to the pedigree, what they believe. Okay? So the genealogy is important. And then let's talk about roots. Let's talk about the root, because the root, and they assess it by the fruit. John the Baptist lays the axe to the root. That scripture talks about what? The root of bitterness. So the root system is important. What's going on with this prophet's root? And, it's, and I'm talking prophet today, but it doesn't have to just be prophets. But right now, since God begins everything with a prophet, we need to know what, what's being started in us. That starter fluid is coming from these prophecies. Okay, ethics. When you have a prophet that gives you these wild, wild words and then go off and do all kinds of unclean things, you have to go back to the parentage. You have to go back to epigenetics. You have to go back to the descent and the, and the insemination because something trained that prophet to distance himself or herself from righteousness, from godliness, from good. So they, and, and you'll hear them say it for you to recognize it. You'll hear them say it. Yeah, well, you know, that's, I mean, I still give the word of the Lord, and the Lord covers me because I give him the word of the Lord. God doesn't distance himself from his righteousness. He doesn't distance himself from his holiness. Is this okay to say? Okay, and the last one, execution. Are they executing the office as our predecessors were memorialized for doing it in Scripture, or are they exhibiting their talent and their gift? So you will always have to do this. Now, if you are a person who likes to think critically, this spoke to you. Would you agree? This spoke to you. So I'm going to read another paragraph and finish do this. Um, so you can understand why, what we're talking about. We are on earth as Christians today, not because a new religion was born, but because our maker's son was born like us to buy us back from his adversary with his blood. We celebrate Christ, not with commercial purchases, but with the hope that does not disappoint. Hope, not deception, love and not hate, peace and not chaos is what this season is about. God used an infant to restore us to him. Why do you celebrate, um, let me go back, oh, God used an infant to restore us to him. Why you do want to celebrate the person that enabled Christian, uh, excuse me, Christmas and not the Christmas holiday itself. See, we don't, right now, people celebrate the Christmas holiday. They don't celebrate the Christmas Savior. And Christmas is about salvation. It's about the Savior of the world. As for those who say it is no more than a pagan holiday, my answer to you is this. Everything was pagan back then, which is the reason God became flesh and entered the planet as an infant. He did so to redeem us with his blood and not only bring peace and goodwill to earth. The Lord had to get inside us <laughs> Isn't that? and to get us inside him again. Endless accounts tell why Jesus came to earth and before his people lost their way, how he got here. The God of all creation hovered over a young virgin and by his Holy Spirit impregnated her, Christ seed. That act essentially, not virtually, transported God's begotten son from heaven to earth to pass humanity from death to life 
and doomed to dignity and hate to love. These are what Christmas is all about. And all of this was decided and accomplished before the wise men saw the star in the heavens and before the shepherds found the babe in the manger. Throughout the B.C., that is before Christ's era, few humans could imagine life better than what they were born into. A little babe in a manger changed all of that. Jesus, as an infant, brought the Godhead's genes and the Messiah's bloodline into the world. As heaven's Christ, he incarnated to free enslaved humanity from the cruelty, abuse, and injustice, releasing it from the powers of death and doom. These are why the Almighty and his Redeemer opened the world to Christmas. It memorializes the entire account of the God that became flesh, the one who risked all to save his creation, formed the bedrock of of Christmas. Reliving the beating heart of that tiny life recalls humanity's only hope. Every year, the minuscule seed that became the Son of God and the Son of Man reminds us that neither we nor our hopes are abandoned in this life. Scripture's account of Jesus' manifestation means to give even the hardest heart reason to be tender for a season and maybe even inspire some to surrender to hope for a little while. Hope, like everything else that affects or depresses, is a person and not just a feeling or sentiment. The God of hope dispenses his power to push us through sadness, despair, and depression, all of which take advantage of the Christmas season in the best of times. Season, it is more crucial than ever that we grab a hold of the Lord's hope. You see, hopelessness dims God's light and life in your soul. It mocks your confidence by daring you to overcome it. Fight back this season. Refuse to give in to defeat or loneliness. Instead, seek the God-man that tiny baby became. Praise him for his courage and commitment to his creation. Learn about that man and why he risked so much to save the world. Find out how he keeps everything under control and about his Holy Spirit who is here to preserve and prosper us to the end. Rebuke sadness and pull on your innate gut grit to resist the oppression that wants you to suffer this Christmas. Rejoice over knowing why it exists. Light up your world. Make it festive. If you cannot uh, if you cannot buy gifts, draw on your natural talent as they did in old days and create them. Perhaps you can initiate a family and friend Christmas gift contest um, that votes on the rewards and the be- votes on and rewards the best gift made. Imagine doing this every year. Come up with rotating handmade Christmas gift contest trophy that makes its rounds every year's winter. You and yours can also create Christmas traditions that honor that tiny baby as its centerpiece. Boldly tell Christ's true story to your family and maybe dramatize it as part of your family's holiday festivities. These are just some ideas for you to put your love for Jesus Christ and his holiday to work. By all means, though, defy the darkness. Don't let it depress you or demean your hope. So we have, we've done this, laid out the clarify and the pedigree. Let's talk now based on that. I started this by saying Christmas is a, the prophet's prophecy and Christmas. What is it that you as a prophet would say and you as an apostle would say about Christmas as it has become and how would we think about taking it back to its original meaning? 
uh, amen. I thought, well, I think you laid that out today in the article and in the points that you made about what Christmas has become. It was a very, um, uh, you, you, you gave it the right picturization. You know, it was very pictorial. Um, of what and, and, and really exemplifying what we what, what has become and what it's deteriorated to and what we allowed it to deteriorate. I think that it's a part of the absence of the apostles and prophets being in the church itself. Mm. You know, um, and, and again going back to that whole foundation because if we're talking about even what you said, how you closed out with the pedigree with the with the foundation of how these people are even interpreting these prophecies. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got leaders who are not prophets interpreting what Christmas means. Okay, uh, we were in a show back in the day, right, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Oh my goodness! And there, because they weren't apostolic and prophetic, they interpreted Christmas pretty much that way. You know, in terms of that, it was a fusion of Mary's story, and and it really was told from the perspective of Joseph, was it not? I think so. And his, you know, uh, feelings and fears and frustrations as a father having to take on a, a son that he didn't have, essentially. And but it was a fusion of all of these secular songs that were used to tell the story and you know present this reality of Christmas, earthenizing the entire experience. Mm-hmm. But it takes apostles and prophets to give you that eternal backdrop on where on the origins and roots of where this comes from. Only we can authenticate that and only we can bring that level of dimension and visualization to people. I think you said something powerful about uh, you know, uh talking about I want to get the phraseology right. Oh, talking about the standards of righteousness and how God, you know, does righteousness from heaven down Mm -hmm. because their presentation of what's right and wrong and good about Christmas is really from earth up. They completely see all of the earthly elements. And so because they only see the earthly elements, we turned it into icons. Mm -hmm. What else can we do with them? We don't see the spiritual implication. We don't see the spiritual power behind it. We don't see the fruit of it. Um, We don't have that. So the fruit of Christmas is lost because the root system starts with a lot of iconic celebration of their earthenizing of the Christmas experience. Because, I mean, before before we even got um, uh, before the garden, Jesus' story starts with the virgin. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing else. It's the whole thing started on the earth. It mm-hmm. started on the planet. What are we talking about? So it took an apostle and prophet's perspective to show us the continuum of this man's birth that brings us into what those pieces mean to us today. What does it mean to me as a Christian? As, a per, as opposed to it being a celebration and a veneration of this guy who loved me, did something great for me, wonderful, thank you, and this is my way of just saying thank you every year. So I think that a lot of the spiritual implications behind it get lost because we don't have that, no, that, that eternal backdrop and that spiritual heritage because that's what I loved about looking at this here because a lot of prophets don't really have a spiritual heritage. <laughs> Like that, that goes back to eternity. We have, we can go back to mama praying for us, somebody walking the floor, somebody laying hands on us, but that entire backdrop that you give, even in your article, because you could have just did what everybody else says, okay, the virgin birth, but no, you connected it back to its spiritual roots and its spiritual heritage, and I think that that's the piece that causes us to disconnect with Christmas, Mm. because idols, you know, start with paganism, and paganism starts with flesh. And idols start with I. Well, (laughs) (laughs) they start with I. I don't start with I. But I think that's important. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was all I was going to say, is that I think that's important because we've distanced ourselves from that. (laughs) 
Apostle Ashley. <laughs> well, I think before we can bring Jesus back to the center of Christmas, we actually need to put him back in the middle of his church. Wouldn't that be nice? In general. I mean, how many churches are not open on Sunday? And, and now with the uh, universal convenience of streaming because of the whole COVID drama, many people have pre-recorded their Christmas services so that everybody can be at home with their family and they can watch online. Well, if we're, going to, if we're supposedly watching church at the same time, why aren't we together mm-hmm. at the same time? Because earthenizing, it's all been brought down. Jesus has almost become incidental in the church. Like we, we can't get around gathering massive bodies of people together to raise money mm-hmm. outside of using his name. So we still have to use him as a means to really propagate and, uh, our own personal belief systems about the church. But we don't have Christ in his church hardly anymore to the extent that he should be for sure. And we, we have bullied and, and punked and pushed preachers into not wanting to be too religious in church. That's like telling somebody at home, well, don't be too familial in your house. Now, don't have dinner too many times together in a week because, you know, that might be considered religiously familial. And, well, don't take too many showers. Listen, please do that religiously. And don't, don't, hug, you know, don't hug your kids too much. Because then they're going to feel smothered. I mean, we actually did have all that home doctrine, and look at where the home is now, yeah. broken down. And so the, as in bringing the uh, Christ back to the center of Christmas, to me, begins with bringing him back to the center of his church, yeah. the, the body at large, which is where I think our greatest work is going to be. Because if we put him back there, it'll be automatic for this, because we will return to Telling the Christmas story, as, according to actually Jesus being born, yeah. and not ho ho ho, and ho ho hoing around. Because <laughs> see, yeah, you know, I, we've made yeah, it about ho ho hoing around now, and mm-hmm. just you know, flipping tricks to get presents and all kind of things. And it's not; it hasn't been because about Jesus and what he really came for. I love how you said that. That, but Christmas is about salvation mm-hmm. coming into the world. Mm-hmm. And we did. We used to tell it that that was the only option. And, okay, you know, Santa may have been a little incidental here and there. It's astounding how many churches do Christmas outreaches and things or bring people into their church. And then there's Santa. Sitting up there. And pictures with Santa Claus in the church. And I'm like, what? How far have we fallen? And so, to me, Christmas is a reflection of how much we've lost yeah. in the house of the Lord. Mm. And so in bringing that back, I mean, we're, we're doing, I mean, we're doing what we're doing and raising up leaders who are not um, misguided, misdirected and mis and, and all of this misplaced yeah. too many leaders and leadership who are not <laughs> leading for Christ. Mm-mm. What are you doing? You're not here for the Lord and identifying who is here and who is not. And like chief said, having those apostles and prophets, the authentic ones, yeah, wherever the list is in your list, authenticity mm-hmm. um, is there. And how you said, can you measure? Well, you said authenticity. Can you actually measure? And even in execution, I think if we come to the place of where you talked about where there, because we have people who are exhibiting the gifts mm-hmm. and the talent, but not executing the office. We have a lot of talented people at, in, in the church. 
leading on stage, whatever, but not actually executing the office. And um, those are some of my thoughts on that. Yes. No. Yes. No thoughts. See? Don't make me hit that one. <laughs> but Where's I think that, okay, and I think that what she said. She's off celebrating. Oh, she's Christmas. off celebrating. Elsie is celebrating. She's off. With Santa. With Santa. Huh? Okay. She's pro- actually, but she's providing the eggnog. I'm going to say that. That's what she's doing. Um, but I think that what she said about Christmas equaling salvation, us trying to bring that concept back, you have to realize that we're in a church right now that doesn't see the relevance of salvation. No. That they don't think that they really need to be saved mm-hmm. like that. You know, they can love God, they can go to church, and they can go, do good deeds, like you mentioned, the community outreaches and all of that, and not really need a salvation experience. Mm-hmm. Because even salvation has become iconic and commercialized and not biologic, as you've been teaching. Because they have not been taught the organic or biologic biological gospel, mm-hmm. they don't really see a need for salvation in terms of change. It's not been peopleized. Now, it's been personalized because everybody has a personal Savior, and, you know, and exactly, and everybody knows Jesus loves me. That's what Christmas is about. So they spread love around Christmas because Jesus loves them. Mm-hmm. And so they don't really see anything about foolishness. Well, and that's the they, they don't think it. They're not and I might it. get a gift out of it. They that. might get a gift, but anything, that's why Hallmark can go that way. And also, can we just talk about this in sidebar? About the, the number one icon. Now, now Santa stole the day, but the number one Christmas icon is love because we have stopped even mentioning or talking about Jesus as a person. person. He no. now is an adjective. Mm-hmm. Love saved the day. Love did it. Love this. Love that. So that, that began, and that started in the church, okay, that, the depersonalization of the Savior. Mm-hmm. So they feel like as long as they have love and they're doing love, then they're celebrating the reason for Christmas and the reason Christ came, and that is their salvation. Love saved them. They, but they define love. Cause exactly. Because a lot of them have, have broken relationships because they did not like the other person's definition of love. But right. It, <laughs> <laughs> All right, you broke up with her because right. she did not love you the way you wanted to be loved because you define love one way and she defines it another way. You're divorced because he didn't love you like you wanted to be loved. So you are, we understand how love ought to be. Okay, we understand that, but what we don't want is to apply it to a Savior because you can't apply good love to anybody. Good love. Just because you have acceptable and people just shut up and suck it up doesn't mean that they appreciate the love that you're giving. Good love. I like the hashtag good love. <laughs> There's this new show on TLC called Addicted to Marriage. Oh. And it's totally your point mm-hmm. of people who, oh, if this spouse doesn't work, Let's get another one. And one woman married 11 times. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just like because. And people keep showing up at our weddings. There are people. <laughs> I feel like God gave you 11 gifts. Let's talk about that. I'm tapping out after two. Look, you're on your own. And, and just but to see, that, to see that belief system in people uh-huh. that. Uh, it's all about their interpretation of love, which can be, if you love me, you're going to give me what I want, mm-hmm. which is most of these people. And as soon as you don't give me what I want, I'm out. I'm out. And that's been the consistent thing in that show because they follow four women. Mm-hmm. And only one, only one woman is humiliated and embarrassed to admit she's been married and divorced four times. Because she said, she's playing in wedding 12. 
Twelve? Uh, yes. I yes. No, I'm still stuck, but I cannot yes. understand how people will bring you twelve gifts. Well, a lot of people, a lot of people don't. Some people are just like, you know, that's just oh, my uh, broken friend. Who's and they'll pretty much say that that they, I, I love them, but they have issues. Mm-hmm. And um, and the one woman who's marriage divorced four times, she said, but I need to, in essence, figure out why I keep failing at marriage. Mm-hmm. And she's in a relationship right now, has a kid with somebody. Anyway, it's a whole other thing. But she's the only person who had that mentality and is just broken mm-hmm. down at the shame of not being able to have a successful marriage at, at 45 years old for divorces under her belt. But at the, that whole thing, I mean, that, I just thought of that. And tying to that belief system now in the church of why do people leave churches or join churches? Because of what they feel they're going to be affirmed mm-hmm. for. And if they're corrected or uh, chastened or anything like How that. How about instructed? Instructed, yeah, but but instruct no because instructed is abuse yeah. with a lot of these people. That is their definite control, absolutely. So you instruct, all of a sudden you start grooming and training and tweaking and pinching and hacking and whacking. Then all of a sudden you are in divination, mm-hmm. and I am a victim of another abusive leader. But you know, I'll tell you, you're right about that. And when they say that, you know, my issue is prove it. See, we allow people to call us certain things. Prove it. You prove I'm in divination because I bet you I can prove that you're in rebellion more extensively. Which is a sin of witchcraft. Okay. Which is a sin of witchcraft. Okay. And I can prove it because, see, the the God that's talking to you is divination. And the sad part is you don't know that a devil is leading and guarding you right now. You stop being led by the Holy Ghost and you start being led by the host of hell. But can we talk about, can, Dr. Price, can I just, she said, you stop being led, and I have to give a, I have to give a testify, because here's the deal, they walk up in your churches telling you, I done slept with 85 people, my life is a mess, I just got off of XYZ drugs, I just got out of some, some crazy whatever kind of relationship, they tell you, and you're church, they give you, thank you, well, they give you a testimony of sin, mm-hmm. and poor judgment, poor discernment, and decision-making, but when you say something, you're in divination, how would you know? You've made 85 mistakes. That's why you're at our church. You have slept with 85 people. You didn't know and who they all, wait a Okay? And they all left stuff in you, so now all that stuff oh, is yeah. all, all that stuff. All that stuff is now assimilating itself in your consciousness, in your psyche, because all that stuff is there. I don't care if it's mouth or blood. But they can hear. But you can hear. You and you can hear from God. You got more you sin in your flesh because God said that when you join yourself to a person in the sex act, he said you become one. You become one. Don't care about your shower. We care about what the lip, the leave behind. The leave behind. Well, we wear condoms, yeah, but you put that on late. You put that on just before, and that's oh, if you remember. If, if, if you remember. Did you say if? I said, or it broke. Or it broke. There you go. Condom broke. So you're sitting here, and you're full of 15, 16 people's bodily material. <laughs> but you're going to deserve But you're going to tell me I'm wrong. And then you think because I don't speak back to you, I don't see all your devils. First of all, you can see them in their eyes. 
You can see them in their eyes. They be showing up like a family. We're here. We're here. Okay. Okay. So you, but you go through that. But you, and you gonna tell me? First of all, you, you who can barely get past the end of the game. God gonna tell me about Bible. I'm like, Prove don't read it. the word. Don't pray. Mm-mm. Ain't been to church in six months, but okay. you can discern. No, I'm your 16th church. <laughs> but I'm your 16th church. I'm your Tenth leader, and all of the other leaders didn't do you right. Now, nobody ever asked you how well you did your leader. Because if you start with, see, you all need to go back to clarity. Start vetting these people. You, you're vetting them, but see, the reason you don't want to vet them is because you share their sentiments about the abuse of Jesus Christ. Because these are Christ abusers. These are church abusers. And see, 2022 is going to bring that up. You wonder why God has somebody talking strongly about this is because he's getting, he sent out the judgment already on it. Yeah. He has already issued the judgment. I'm looking at angels flooding the planet, yeah. even as yeah. we spit, yeah. and they're not coming out with halos, okay? They're coming out with battle axe. They're coming out said, with hammers. Hashtag no halo. No halo. No, no. And they are authorized to do whatever it is. They, they, they react to your life. So you real, God's been holding devils back. You didn't understand that he was holding them back. That's why you still got a little bit of prosperity. You still got a little this or that. But the word he gave me yesterday morning, he said, oh, yeah, I'm still going to make y'all rich. He said, but I'm going to add a lot of sorrow to it. And your riches will, will, will literally benefit you nothing. We have got to get to a point. You're going to sit here and talk about, well, God knows my heart. So, so you think God is as dumb as your heart? Let's get real. The Bible said the heart, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can you don't know your heart? The problem is God knows all about your heart. You don't know your heart. It says it is not in man to know his way. We are born blind. We're born deaf. We're born dumb, and we need the light of the glorious. That's why they call it light, because everything we bring into the planet is dark. And it's important that we get this. So you can say that. And, and, and I, why am I saying this? Dr. Price, are you just saying this? To, no, I'm saying it for those who are asking God. Say, I, I respond to prayer. So you pray, God, how can I not be duped any longer? How can I not keep having the same results? God, how can I better profit? How can I say a profit is right or wrong? And you don't expect him to answer you. You expect him to answer you about, yeah, this is harvest time. You expect him to answer you about, you know, bless going in and bless going out. You expect him to answer you about, you are, you know, Abraham's blessings are yours. And the, it, it, the father's good. You expect him to answer you on good, but you don't expect him to answer you for caution. And that's what God is doing. When you hear, because a lot of you all have been programmed, and I'm going to tell you something. I, for those of you who want to, you know, be quasi-political, maybe just quasi-right, you realize that when you go online and download the Communist Manifesto, everything that's happening to the church today is in it. Everything. So you think your pastor's original. You think your church leader is original. You don't know they went to the meeting. The take down Jesus Christ meeting. That's why it's good to say this. Isn't it in there? You go and read it. Don't take our word for it because you really think we're being legalistic. You think we're being religious. What are they being? Talk about destructive. They wrote in that the, the, keep their children thinking about sex. That's why you want to give your kid birth control pills because the spirit is to make their manifesto 
work in this life are doing their job. And they have seduced you into thinking that the church, that your preacher is wrong, that truth is wrong. How about this? That the Bible is wrong. Get the Christian out of the Bible. You need to recognize. So if you're going to open your mouth and make a judgment call, you need to do your homework. Because I do. And you need to realize that everything that we're believing today, making you unhappy, forcing you to chase liberty, and, le- and to abandon your responsibility to Jesus Christ, that is there in their language, but it's their goal. You don't understand that they, we are their goals is, uh, achieved because you're walking around talking about, well, I'm sorry, Dr. Price is legal. No, no, what's the communist? What's your socialist? Because this is not new. This is 100 years ago. We're not talking about something. It's, it's new to you. Because, again, you born dark as everything else that comes into the planet. So it's new to you, but it's not new to them. And you need to look at it and see what they're doing. And you need to recognize that they've been at this for 100-plus years. So you're not all that modest. As a matter of fact, you are outdated. Your sin is outdated. Your seductions are outdated. So we... We didn't have her. You know, she needed to say something. She's, you just have to shake her I gotta take her and then put her on the mic. Okay, no, you got to shake her. There you go, Elsa. So I want you to hear me because you need to know what, where, how did we get here? Where did this come from? That's where it came from. And, and see, in my generation, we knew that, and we stood against it because we did study it. But in your generation, they've gone covert. And they've got, they have revised or rephrased what they're doing for your curriculum. Yes. So you need to look. Now, I'm telling you, because you're also busy telling us we shouldn't be in politics, I'm thinking you should be. Because had you been, you would have known that we were being taken out as the church. Exactly. You know, remember, what is that one that you always find for me? What is this, Gabby? Oh, yeah. You know, possibly, I'm, I'm going to put it in my, my uh, remarkable because he just keeps getting away from me. But a 100 years ago, that's how long this has been in play. All of your stuff, all of that sexual obsession, that's for those demons so that they can enter you, because sex is a demonic transit system. It's actually a spiritual one, because that's how the two become one flesh. It's not just the sex act, it's the soul bond. We could talk about soul ties on everything but that. So when you go, as you go into this whole, your, all of your things, and I know a lot, you know, there are some people who can't t- stand truth even if it will keep them alive. I'm telling you, you got him? Yes, read it. And then send it to my phone. Okay. This is a quote by Antonio Gransky. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so he says, socialism is precisely the religion that must overwhelm Christianity. In the new order, socialism will triumph by first capturing the culture via infiltration of schools, universities, churches, and the media by transforming the consciousness of society. And this is from 1915, 1915? Like 1915, not 50. 1915. What you're defending today has been in place. 1915. I want you to write it down, and then you could key his name up, Antonio Gramsci. 
Huh? She's going to go ahead and post it so that you guys can. So do you have it. So do you understand what you are defending, even the perversion of Christmas? Yeah. All of that has been in place since before the 19th century, but for sure 1915. You can go all the way back to the 16th century, and you can find it out. So you're not novel. You're not dated. Your pastor who's defecting from Jesus Christ, he's in the book. She's in the book. That's a job description, okay? I'm going to make you very wealthy if you tear down the church. You all are running around. What did he do? Get you to measure success by wealth. So now you got these wealthy kids who are 100% traitors to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're treasonous ministries. You're celebrating because as far as you can say, at least they got money. Baby, in a minute, that's not going to be an issue. Trust me. And that's why God didn't give you money, because he knew he couldn't trust you, because you're chasing their treason. You know, we have to understand this, because if we're not going to do our jobs, then what are we doing? Well, I can tell you what we're doing. We're being taken captive by Satan at his will to do his will, because you don't receive the love of the truth. We'll irk you if you have not matured your new creation spirit. You instead, you have slaughtered it, or maybe you just decided it would be stillborn. I don't know. But you have not allowed God to grow in you. And this is nothing new. Now, we talk about him being 1915, but can we talk about the fact that God's been facing this since Genesis and before? See, this is not new to God. You keep thinking God's outdated. And yet you can't tell me where he's outdated. And people don't ask. So, we, you know, when we were coming up, those of us who've been around, you ask questions. We did, people didn't just run a game. You didn't run a line on us. You remember? I have some of my audiences saying, no, no, you ask, well, where did that come from? Well, how would you get that point? Why do you think I quote so much scripture so you know where I'm getting it from? And I took my time to read it, and now we listen to it. We, you know, see, she can, I'm going to have to give her something because she's going to go no, off. But, but, but we read it and we listen to it and we learn the word of God because we understand that, that a plethora of gods would not make that much competition for themselves. They just wouldn't. And they wouldn't make themselves to die. And they wouldn't make themselves to be killers and murderers. They just wouldn't do it. One God did this. God made all of this, and he said he made man perfect, and he, he invented many schemes. So I'm giving you scripture again. So you want to sit there and you want to bash us with no scripture, no Bible, no truth, no facts, just your sentiments. Because that's what they said when she read that man's thing. But he said we're going we're gonna to infiltrate all of that. You are infiltrated. And you don't know that you're infiltrated with their, insatua- their saturation. Look it up. Some of you all are smart. Now, why am I telling you to look it up? Because in God's next move, we are not going to have the move where we all just get up and get brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so's doctrine. When I read my Bible, a revival, now that's why they, many of them stopped calling it revivals and started calling it renewals, because a revival started with the word. It, they said that every king that was going to bring the nation back to their God sent out teachers of the word, the law of Moses and the prophets. That's a revival according to Bible. 
I don't know what, what you all are planning. That's, that's not it. It is not a revival of so-and-so's doctrine. It is not a revival of the good old days, of the wonderful events. Of oh, I think the closest we've come to that would be Billy Graham. You know, Billy did not care. The brother was no, out. No, no. Billy was like, I mean, he walked with a sword. Yes. You thought it was a cane, <laughs> and it turned out to be a sword. But out of all the people that I've watched and studied, that man was the closest to what they said revival is. Not, it wasn't mixed with so-and-so stuff. He did not care if you were the Russian czar. He did not care if you were the, the monarch of England, royalty. He didn't care. He was like, because I serve the God above all gods, and my God made you. Okay. He didn't just make me. And that meant, see, that's revival. And I don't know that we've had anything that close since then, except maybe the Azusa thing, but it didn't last. It didn't last. So here we are. If you're looking for revival and you want to know what is the true revival versus what they call a renewal or a refreshing today, they just changed the read. Yes. We're renewing, we're refreshing. And if, and if that's the case, if they tell you it's a renewal, if they tell you it's a refreshing, then you need to understand it's not about the law. It's not, about the, it's not about people getting saved. It's about the saints having a moment with God, having God coming to wash us up or refresh us. It is not about that because revival, as God is concerned, that is the revival of the word in people's hearts. Josiah did it. Hezekiah did it. Look in your scripture. But I have, Prophet Angela, would you like to share a little something? We got time for you. And we got time for Prophet Norma. Since we said it's about prophets, prophecy, and Christmas. Well, speaking to the Christmas, amongst all of the things that you all have been covering as you've been speaking today, I think about also the mammon grip. Um, that exists upon Christmas. Mm -hmm. And when we think of something like, for example, Instagram, which is really huge right now in our culture and in our particular time, a lot of what's impacting our youth and, and those that are attached to that is a form of pictographic uh, divination mm -hmm. because we're looking at, you know, people. Pictomancy. Yeah, pictomancy. Very good. <laughs> We're looking at, you know, the way that images of what Christmas should be and what the values of it should be and what the actual narrative of it should be in a pictorial form uh, when we're going through something of that sort. And you were talking through your article, you were giving us the fact that hope should be the centralized uh, element of our consciousness, of our consciousness of Christmas. But when we think about the pictomancy, uh, a lot of what the culture has really pushed on us is happiness mm -hmm. instead being that centralized concept or theme. And so people look at all of these things that are being pushed and think, well, I'll be happy if I get XYZ for Christmas. I'll be happy if I have this car sitting outside with the bow on it. I'll be happy if I have a $50,000 Birkin bag. I'll be happy if I have a pair, get a couple pairs of red bottom shoes for Christmas. And it begins to drive a real particular nature you walk through all of these pedigree issues uh, and talked about character and things of that sort but through that particular mammon grip there is a pedigree of consciousness and a pedigree of 
person um, that we're cultivating overall in and outside of the church that is really driven by I don't care how I got it, just so long as I could get it, mm-hmm. just so long as I could afford it, just so long as I had the money to pay for it, which is why we have cities like Atlanta, for example. You know, it used to be a disparaging thing if you made money by the poll, and now it's you're a hero. Um, you know, if you if you're a stripper and, and you can slide down a pole and you can do all these things, and then the strippers show you on Instagram the kind of cars that they're able to drive, the kind of designer clothes that they're able to wear, the high living that they have, all of that is coming out of the pedigree, and all of that is coming out of that underlying current of a mancy that's really driving this particular culture and grooming and raising up this particular kind of person and kind of generation. Amen. You know, and, and it's really interesting. You know, I, I'm one of those people, I never understood pole dancing, that literally your vagina is collecting everything on that pole. That's a nasty thing. I don't care what the devil says. I don't care. And let me tell you something. When you, what, no? I never understood it. And one right after another, y'all are collecting each other bodily fluids up and down a pole. Now, I'm sure they clean it in the morning and clean it at night, but the rest of the day, we don't see anybody running up there wiping down no pole. We're in a COVID era. So talk about immediate access. <laughs> <laughs> and see, what they show you is not the – why did I say that? Because, you see, we don't hear from the health professionals. We don't hear from the doctors. We don't hear from the other folk who have to take care of that uncleanness. We don't hear about the sores you got to fix because I know you got uh, that much. There's some sores. I don't care what the devil said. But, but, but as long as they show you, because this is also a very gullible, very naive generation. Yes. Very gullible, very naive. They will believe anything with a dollar sign. Okay? And that's the part. I mean, and, and, you know, Jesus talks about that. That's, again, that's not new. Riches of this world, riches of this life. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Those are real issues. People will bless you when you do good for yourself. Don't act like that language isn't in there because it is. God was very – Jesus Christ is a realist. We want him to be a thrillist, but he's a realist. I appreciate the, your article, you know, A Dose of Christmas Hope, which takes us back to our hope in Jesus Christ, takes us, again, back to the real reason why we celebrate Christmas and, you know, I was thinking, as you were talking, I was just thinking about all of the things that we've turned uh, Christmas into. We got the hip, hip-hop Christmas. We got everybody the rock and roll Christmas. We have everybody's Christmas now that is totally taking it away from Jesus Christ and him being the Savior, the reason why he came. And if it wasn't for him, none of us would be here, no, you know, nonetheless. But just growing up and seeing how times have changed so much, even in just the last 15 years, 10 to 15 years, you know, with the whole nativity set scene and all of that and how just a few years ago there we did not see them it was like it was we did not we'd go around looking at christmas lights and all of that and we did not see see very many nativity set Mm -hmm. scenes and just being able to get back to the place again where true apostles and prophets are talking about the real jesus christ why he came and continuing to push that 
said, this is this is the reason we're all here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now because of uh, all of the false prophets and uh, false teachers and everything that are truly are part of the campaign of taking Jesus Christ out of the church, you know, because that, we see it right now. That has been a, that's a really, really hard campaign right now. We t- we're taking them out because we're pushing in our own gods, and, you know, everybody has to be accepting. If, you know, we're all gods, you know, so everybody has to get a play at the table. No, we don't. We don't all have to get a play at the table. Jesus Christ and he gets a play at the table because he is the, the only true and living God, and he's the God above all gods. And when we get back to that place again, and I believe that as even as you teach and as other people uh, begin to teach about the true meaning of Christmas and Jesus Christ starting in the church, if we get the church back to Jesus Christ, and then we can get the people back in Jesus Christ. Well, and you know it's so interesting, speaking to the nativity scene, um, people don't know why Jesus was in a manger. They don't realize that Jesus was not, God. first of all, the fact that God moved the entire nation right. with a mandate. With, with a what? A mandate. The king mandated a census. And everyone who was a natural-born Jew had to come and present themselves. They couldn't send in a stone, a rock, a bird, a pigeon plane. They had to come and present themselves in the capital city of the homeland so that God's word through Micah and other prophets would be fulfilled. He would be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. See, we, because you have all of these, these single-dimensional teachers, they're not errant. They're just flat, just single-dimensional. <laughs> so you're rarely told that the power of authority, that God moved a king right. and moved him at the right time. Right, right. You've got to read your Bible instead of your favorite preacher's book alone. So he moved the whole nation so that all of those men could come and be counted. Something I want to know how many, you know, I want to know how many males we got, whatever. And so he, had, he was born in a manger because by the time her due date came, reservations were booked up. Because he could, they could have been there earlier. But God so finitely, I mean, he finitely timed that thing. He knew how long riding that donkey was going to be and at what point it was going to stimulate contraction. See, we don't think logical about God because we're too busy allowing people to make him magical as if he is a wizard or warlock. He is not. He's the almighty. He made wizards and walk, and he said, and I drive them mad. And over the next 10 years, you're going to see them going mad like never before because God is commanding their devils to leave. That's it. So, so he moves heaven. I don't even think, uh, who could do that? Can you imagine? Firstborn, everybody know firstborn two, three days. She did her, she did the whole part. And even as they show how she had such pain and whatnot, Scripture says, before she travailed, 
she brought forth. Is that not in scripture? He said before she prevailed. So that means that God was not going to have her wrestling with hard labor. Because my yoke is easy and my burden light. The one woman he created. Okay. There are women today who have, birth, have delivered babies without a pain. <laughs> Brag, won't you? So that's what it says, before she travailed. And when I watched that, when we were watching it, I said, but see, we don't, we, if we want to be accurate, we got to get the fine points right. Right. Because there's something significant about that statement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something that's powerful about that statement. But he was born in a manger because it actually tied to her labor, her time to be delivered. I mean, that kind of stuff is what people are like, whoa, so I don't know, and I don't understand. Those are the kinds of things that are important. Even dealing with the star, even the star in uh, Bethlehem, well, the star that the wise men saw, there is a whole piece on that that particular star was important because it came at a time when kings are born. They followed it because they knew a new king was born. And they understood, just from my my understanding, they understood that it was the king of the world. Balaam, I see him, but not now. And again, prophecy. That's why I'm making a big deal about the prophets. Prophecy is being fulfilled. Prophecy is being fulfilled. Prophecy is being fulfilled. And not by gifters. The Bible does not record gifters. Did you want to say, oh, you got the mic, did you want to yeah. See, because all those prophecies we have come from office holders. That's very different. Now, nobody's against the gift because that's real. That's in Scripture. But office holders, and an office holder is going to secure the word, going to secure the truth, but also going to fight for it and travail for it. Elisha fought for his word to happen. Yes, he, did. he didn't just say, oops, it doesn't, okay, so the sky doesn't want to rain. He knows the power of the office, the power of that mantle. We got Biden because these young prophets didn't know they should have been fighting for that word to not happen to our country. Just because the devil shows you a picture doesn't mean your mansi should become prophecy. That's how we got it. Because God is a prayer answering God. We think about Saul and the Gibeonites. Those Gibeonites, how long did they pray? They never stopped praying from the time that untimely death happened. They, and they, their prayers became so powerful, it bound up the land. Nature could not function. Lord, there's famine in the land. Lord, hey, let's talk about Joshua. And I will put the dread upon you, 
and I will, wherever you speak, tread, I will give you, and I will make the enemies fear you, all of that. They go to battle, come back, they lost, 30-something thousand people. How is that happening? That prophet then say, well, I guess I missed it. Joshua goes to God. Hey, God, that's not covenant. That's not my word. That's not what you told me. So what's the problem? God says, why are you bothering me? It's aching. <laughs> Don't bother me. I, listen, I told you, but I gave you conditions. And I told you, you could not have anything from the other gods. I told you, you could not have their stuff. You couldn't have their pictures. You couldn't have their garments. You couldn't have their kids. Don't even, I don't even want you to have their wives. And yet, you went to war with somebody who has idolatrous articles in his tent. Is that good? So here we are. Joshua's like, what? Hold on. See, but but this this, this fluff cake generation is going to say, well, you know, I mean, who am I to judge? Well, I'm not, you know, God, I'm not going to, I mean, you know, because they're going to be mad at me. Saul, well, the people will be hot. He didn't say, he said, okay. God, he said, so Joshua got the plan. Okay, what do I do? He said, the first thing you want to do is gather everybody. The second thing you want to do is now separate by tribe. And now after you separate by tribe or have a house, he said, now you're going to separate by the clan. And then now you're going to separate by family. Right. And he found out, okay, and I love this phrase. I, I got, you know, everybody has those phrases in Scripture that just, just get you. So he finally gets to Aiken's family. He said, worship God. And tell the truth. Now, whoever thought truth telling is worship? He said, "Worship God and tell the truth." And come to find out, when you research it, he had a divinatory garment. Your clothes do matter. He had a Babylonian garment that's known for divination some sort of priestly type thing. And God is like, so you're going to you're gonna go to war for me. You want me to win when you bring in another priest to the, oh, no, I'm not doing that. Jesus is like, I'm, I'm, y'all figure it out. I'll be back when you're done. Is that not necessary? Yes. See, we, what's done is done. I am not all of that um, caught up in us converting those who are already led astray. That's something only God can do. Only God can give them repentance. Only God can give them uh, conversion and restoration. That's not who I am. I'm speaking to those that are coming up, and I'm telling you how not to get caught in the devil's trap. Yeah, I think that's a lot. I love that, you know, walking through, because I think that has a lot to do with what we just said here on there about knowing the character legitimacy of those people. Um, and I love the fact that, you know, Aiken's garment, because dealing with what prophets are walking in, what they're wearing, what, what spirit they're about, you know, being an indicator. Because we've made it seem like that these prophets can walk in both lanes. Mm-hmm. That they can, you know, mix your, you can mix your drinks, mix your music, mix your partners, and somehow get a pure word from God. 
And you know what I mean? Oh, and yeah. so we think that purity, because you almost think like you're prophesying from different resources. These people are not prophesying from a whole different resource. Okay? You're not a whole different person when you step into prophecy than you are when you just step out of the bed of fornication. Same resources, same character being used. So it's not two separate characters. Okay, although I, I believe that it's a, a brash of bipolarism going around the body of Christ, <laughs> but, the re- okay. But, okay. but the reality is that you think that their lifestyle is not going to contaminate your words and that it's not going to affect the word that they're going to receive from you, okay, while you're out there. You just got out of the club with this person. You just watched them get, come, uh, come from a hangover, and now they're going to be able to uh, prophesy impurity to you. Let's talk about that. We ain't going to talk about just the, the, the damage done on the mind itself. Oh. I'm try to bring the word together for you because you don't even know which side or which voice or which thing they're hearing from. They can't even tell you at that juncture. So I think that you pointing this out and just taking us down this road and giving us arming the people with what they need to look for mm-hmm. because this is still your soul. This is still That's your exactly life. Right. And you need to be able to take personal responsibility for what you allow to be implanted. I love the word inseminated. Inseminated in you through these prophets. Look at their lifestyle. Look at the things that they talk about. Look at their conversation. I agree. Look at their fidelity, okay, and, and then not think that they can be twofold children of sin and still give you something accurate. But I think that what's worth pointing out in your process is if you're looking for a prophecy from the Lord or prediction. Yeah. Not because that. some people are happy to just have, know the future. Some people do want lucky charms. Someone saw the uh, – everybody knows that I have this fun little interactive lion on my uh, phone. They're one of my favorite animals. Um, and also because I happen to like the lion of Tribe of Judah. But this girl, young, new at a church, comes to me and says, oh, my gosh, are you a Leo? Hmm. I had to pause and think because I'm like sitting there thinking, I know she's 100% new to the kingdom in that way. Yeah. And it's sad that your church is not making – she's the children's minister. They – New at the church, tattooed everywhere you can name, and they put her over the children. And then she, and they said that she said, I don't know, they just saw something in me, so now I'm the children's minister. Oh, okay. And you're asking me if I'm a Leo. I said, I'm the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's what this is here. Okay? And we just kind of shifted the subject matter. But, again, who are these people? And you're letting them speak into your life. They're letting them speak into children's lives right yep. now. Okay, and direct them according to whatever little bit of Jesus she may quasi know. Mm-hmm. Talked about she had just been back to church six months. Oh. And you over the kids. And you're over now, the kids. Now, a teacher can't do that. No. A doctor can't do that. Literally, a community person can't do that. I'm telling you, a, a child care worker can't do that. But yet, a church mm-hmm. can do that to its children. Woo. Again, mm-hmm. manifesto. Oh, yeah. I mean, and really genuinely talking about walking in a variety of spirits and now you're over the kids, uh, has all of these tattoos over, most of them are recent, and this is, oh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and fix this little strawberry she has on her neck and add the color. So why, why do you have all these things? Oh, I don't know. It's just something to do. So that takes us back to where Dr. Price started about the icons and the idolatry is that they divorce you from the word of God. They divorce mm-hmm. you, like you said, Elder Aaron, that you would ask questions. Our generation is not going to ask questions because it's trending. Mm-hmm. So why would I ask if, if all of the people I want to be like and look like are doing it? So it knocks out thought. It knocks out, you know, intelligence because now I'm just mirroring. I'm just imaging. And so we brought everything down to an yep. image yep. And, 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 and not necessarily uh, encouraging people to want to know. She couldn't answer why, except for the dead mama tattoo. She knew why she had that one. 
because the mama died. But everything else, she just said, oh, I don't know. It just felt like it was something to do, something I just wanted to, to, to have on myself. And these are the people who were, were trusting prophets with the same mentality who were bringing the word of the Lord to you. You can't tell me why you have 85 tattoos, but I should know that you can, you can use the mental dexterity enough to discern mental dexterity enough to discern, okay, and differentiate the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. We've been talking about uh, here for a long time, but discernment being that master faculty. And these people, you can't exercise discernment about what you're putting on your body. No. But you can exercise discernment about what is best for my life. And I think that that list is important. We need to start asking questions, character, clarity. Yes, why not? We can, I think we need to start asking questions. I worked it out. Because right now, prophecies are iconic. They're icons. They're, you know, because people will prophesy to you according to what's trending. I mean, y'all heard trendy prophecies. You see them all over Facebook. No, but you know how you to. You're too stressed to be, you, okay? You're too blessed to be stressed. And God's going to, okay, the latter will be greater. All of these have become iconic trending prophecies. And they don't need prayer. They don't need, you know, an engagement with God for you to repeat some uh, popular prophetic phrase. But another way, don't don't lose. But another way to know an iconic prophecy is how it's always so symbolic. You don't know what they mean. It's always so symbolic, and it rhymes. And it's allegorical, and it's metaphoric, <laughs> and it rhymes. You know, it rhymes, getting you ready for the rap. Because God's gonna give you double for your trouble. Uh-huh. Those are iconic prophecies. Prophecy. You know what I'm saying? It's like you don't even realize that you're getting all these iconic words. And you still don't know what your prophecy is. No, you still don't know. Because I'm going to need you to tell me what my trouble is. They don't. God's going to bless you in 2022. Oh, yeah. God's going to bless you in 2022. No matter what you do, God's going to bless you in 2022. 2020. But I think that we have to recognize that. Because you're, you're, and, and a lot of people, I look at these things on Facebook and my mouth just goes, and people are accepting them. Like, they're amening and hallelujah-ing and everything else. I receive it. Yes. And then you ask them, so how's that going to show up? How's that going to play out? I don't care, prophet. Uh-uh. No. God will do it. That's not my business. That's up to God. Let God do it. I hear wedding bells. I hear wedding bells. I see, I see your the Boaz coming down the road. No, Boaz is too deep, man. You got to just say marriage. Oh, okay. Because we don't read the Bible anymore. Yeah, that's true. We don't read the Bible anymore. Well, we got anymore. some of them still do Boaz. Okay, yes, it's true. But, you know, it's like Boaz is real. But we never think about it. You're going to get married. You go, and, and all of these. And I think it, it's deep. But that's divination. And it's fortune-telling. Study fortune-telling. Study divination. And see, the sad part about it is that these people have redefined prophecy as anything that comes apart from your physical your physical senses. So if it's invisible, if it's something in your brain, if it's invisible or a thought, because, see, a lot of these thoughts are masquerading as prophecy, oh, oh, yes. you know, and so and, and nobody questions that. Now, and I've done a teaching. I don't even know, maybe Rachel Fine when I was doing, um, we've done a teaching whereby you have to, for you to know the difference between prophecy and divination than once, but one of the things that you should know is that prophecy is eternal. It begins in heaven and descends to earth. Divination and fortune telling starts on the ground. As a matter of fact, Isaiah talks about how divination begins with peeping and muttering. 
hissing and whispering. See, we don't we don't know how that works. And because this thing has been so uh, clamped like us, I'm going to ask you to sow a major seed to me because it's time for this to get out. We, this is wonderful. I'm glad you're faithful. And some of you have sown so much, my soul is just encouraged. But I want to take this. I need to take this kingdom for the king. And we can't do it with false prophets and false prophecy because God starts everything Christmas time. And I know that's very difficult. But I would like you to go to God and say, God, this woman needs a bigger platform. She needs a broader audience because Satan is using money to see to it that the truth that we're sharing and the facts that we're sharing don't go global, don't go broadcast. And I need you to help me do that. And I need you to help me do it not just today, but on a regular basis. We're working to get broadcast on the air and then getting other networks on the air. I know some of you all have, uh, what do you call it, Internet networks? Yes, that's fine. But you know what? As much as they say people are not watching uh, television, Christians are. Yeah. See, that, that's how much they discount us because Christians are still watching their favorite preachers, their favorite shows. They don't care about the fact that it's, you know, that everybody else is on the Internet. They watch the Internet and the broadcast. They record their television shows. So our demographic is not the same as their demographic. You all, some of you all have your favorite show. So I'm asking that you would partner with me and say, Dr. Price, I believe in what you're saying. I have been doing this for how many years, Ashley? Is it seven yet? On Thursdays? Ten years. Ten years, and I have, and, and nobody can tell you that I gave you anything but God's truth. Now, and if they're going to dispute it, I'm going to need you to be really good at Bible. Don't dispute it because your leap, baby didn't leap, your leaper didn't leap, you know it didn't know. Okay. Don't do that. I need you to be good. But I need you to help me get on as many networks as possible, online and on the air. That is something that I need you to do. And you know, all these years, I've never pressed you off for money like that. I just put it up, hey, so to me, and whatever. But I want you to begin to say, Dr. Price, 2022, I'm getting you to the globe. I'm getting you to the world. I'm getting you in every house so that you can get in every heart. That is what I'm asking you to do right now. I'm sure Rachel probably has it up on the, on the screen. If there's it. And you can also go to takingiton.com, www.takingiton.com for monthly financial support and partnership. There's different levels that you can join to say, I'm going to partner this amount every month, this amount every month. You can do a one-time seed. You can do a quarterly giving month, however you want to do it. So you can do it right now with the information that's on the screen, and you can also go through takingiton.com, see all of your regular support options as well. And let me say this to you because I am very confident. Don't lose your thought, okay? I'm very confident at what I am able to do. What God has made of me, how he has built me is amazing. So you want to sow a seed? You can sow a seed and say, this seed is for Dr. Price to talk about. And you can name your subject and I will handle it because that's why it's called taking it on. 
Oh, first of all, I think that idea is phenomenal because a lot of people do have things that they want you to specifically address. And with the level of intelligence and study and, all, and expertise that you have and that you put into this, doing that. And also, if there are networks that you can say, you know what, I own a network, I have a friend of a person, I want to get Dr. Price on here. And I'm willing to get behind that, I'm willing to support that, I'm willing to do that. That's something I'm willing to sow. I want to make that happen. Definitely reach out to us. She would be the person, actually, to reach out to for that. But definitely reach out to us. You can, uh, I think you can email, message would be the best way, something. Messenger, all of it, right? Um, <laughs> if we're talking about money, uh, you can either go through takingiton.com or my work email address, and Rachel will put that up on the screen. Perfect, because some of you guys have connections. You know what I mean? Because we have you guys, relationships are currency, favors currency. Mm -hmm. All of those kinds of things are different forms of currency. Of course, we will take the seed money mm -hmm. always um, so that we can keep her on the air. Uh, she's on the air here. There are other networks that are we're looking at that have asked her. We would love your support in that area. But some of you guys have currency and can say, I can do this. I can push this through. I can make this happen so that she can reach the globe. Very, that's very important, and I thank you for it. I just need you to know it is us those of you who have been faithful to this. And if I need you to help me break through, and I like what she said, whatever it is. And don't limit it to uh, television, radio. I have a friend who does a radio broadcast. I have a friend who has an uh, Internet radio show. I want you to do a podcast. For example, I'm on Charisma Podcast. Um, every Thursday, is it? You know, I'm trying to get my days right. Charisma Podcast? Yeah, you go up. Yeah, you're up there. But you're up there all the time. I'm up there all the time. Yeah. So you go there and you can look at all of the things that I have discussed. And for me, nothing, as you could tell, for me, nothing's off limit. Hallelujah. But I want you to help me, and I'm really asking you, that would be a real shot in your arm for me for 2022. And a number of you out there can do it. Not everybody is scrimping and struggling for Christmas. Some of you all have been waiting for God to tell you where to sow. Let me be that place. God bless you. Again, share, 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 and then share, share, share. And by the way, when she said help, it is nice to say I have a network, but if you can't help me at least get a leg up, then I'm still going to be where I am. Some of you all, I need you to say I'll pay for your broadcasting. I'll pay for your airtime for six months. I'll pay for your airtime for a year after that. You can do that. It doesn't have to be a matter of I can give you a connection. I, right now, I need connection, and like she said, we need the king's currency, the king's treasury to open up for what he's called me to do. God bless you. I'll see you Sunday. What is Sunday? And we believe that Jesus deserves us to show up at his party. Because you'd be hot if somebody didn't show up at yours, all right? And decide, I'm going to Zoom your party. Yeah, right. And so we'll be there at the embassy, home of the congregation of the mighty, where God stands. I love you much. God bless you.